1: And i feel like they're a little overbought at this point just they're at resistance they've had this big long rally and they're you know a breather is very good you don't really want price to go straight up or straight down because they usually recoil just as quick in the opposite direction so slow and steady wins the race uh, for long-term trends
0: welcome back to mining stock education i'm your host bill powers thank you for tuning in yet again Well, I've been receiving many emails about people that have found this show recently, and I appreciate those emails. And if you're one of those, you've been listening uh, more recently, or perhaps you've been listening for years, but you haven't yet left a review on the podcast app of choice that you prefer to listen to the show, I would ask you to do that. If this show has been a benefit to you, please let others know by putting a comment there and uh, giving a good rating. I would appreciate that greatly. Well, we're going to be talking about the markets today and the resource sector and how to navigate that as a trader. I have a professional trader on the line with me for today's show, Mr. Chris Vermeulen. He is a trader and market commentator over at TheTechnicalTraders.com. He has a service there that you can learn more about thetechnicaltraders.com Chris thanks for coming on Mining Stock Education for the first time and I want to post to you to start off the conversation a question that someone asked me they said Bill with a steep rise in the gold stocks and many of these juniors since the sell off in mid-March that bottom there we've seen a lot of gap ups so they said should I wait for these gap downs to, to be filled again before I take a position and my inclination was to respond and say well you know look at 20 in the first half of 2016, how the precious metals stocks perform? There may not be a gap down anytime soon. Uh, what would be your commentary here?
1: Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me on the show, Bill. A pleasure to be here. Um, taking a look at the the miners and the gaps. Now, I, I talk about gap fills all the time, and. Uh, I mainly focus on it with the SP 500 because it's the most liquid, is the biggest kind of index, and whenever there's a gap in the SP 500, almost almost 100% of the time, it fills eventually, and and so I get that question all the time as well on what about this commodity or what about this stock and. Uh, stocks, the bigger the brand name stock or the more liquid it is, the more chances are the gap is going to get filled. It was just something about when the markets, the financial markets, miss a chunk of price. For some reason, they always want to come back down and fill that price. I don't know why, but it's always like that. Thin traded stocks, uh, It doesn't. I don't find it really means that much. And then commodities, well, they're a little different than the financial markets and they can have gaps. Um, So that's how I kind of view them as a whole. So gaps to me are very important. They act as a, a spot of support or resistance depending on what side of the gap you're on. And you know, typically they get filled for stocks and, and the index.
0: So in the resource sector, as you know, so many of these smaller companies, the micro caps or nano caps, they're illiquid until people get interested in, and then you often can get that gap up that we're talking about. But what about like a mid-tier producer or a gold company like that, whereas in the last six weeks as gold's been rising and more money has been pouring into the sector, it may not be as liquid as the GDX, but it is still more liquid than a little micro cap. I mean, would you expect that to get filled before the next leg up, or in, could it get filled three years from now potentially?
1: Yeah, well, sometimes gaps can get filled years later, but uh, that's that's a pretty far extreme. I, I, with with a mid cap kind of mid tier company, really, they don't need to fill. I mean, I'm not. I usually don't expect uh, companies to really fill like. Uh, if it's the index, I'm almost kind of counting on it, and usually it fills within a couple days or over a couple weeks. But with small companies, especially something that's been on a very strong run like this, that has it's starting to have that stampede effect of everyone starting to pile in and get really excited. And it's kind of going by leaps and bounds in those gaps every morning from the close to the new open. So I wouldn't really count on all the gaps to be filled. When you get up into a resistance zone, to me, a lot of stocks are getting a little overextended. I actually was telling subscribers uh, two days ago, say, hey, it looks like we're about to have some weakness. It looks like we've got that extreme sentiment where everyone is just feeling like a million bucks with their gold miner plays. And we had this back in February. We actually got out of the gold miners on February. Uh, which was that? That was February 24th. The actual high at the open is where we closed our our junior miners position because we had this exact same scenario that's unfolding really yesterday and, and today. And so I am expecting some weakness. Hopefully it pulls back and consolidates for a bit because I think the sector is hot and, and going to go a lot higher. Uh, so if there are any gaps near this resistance level – they're probably going to come down and fill the first gap. But once earlier in March, uh, April, I don't think the market may crack that far.
0: When you got that sell signal on February 24th, was that from analyzing the chart or from observing what's going on just with people you talk to and people or people are sentiment that's expressed on Twitter and in chat rooms? How did you get that sell signal?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a mix of both of those. So uh, first of all, it was from our entry price. It was our first resistance Fibonacci target. It was also a long-term price target. When you go back on the charts, saying, "Hey, if it gets to this price, we are going to trim off some of our position," and uh, and not only that, but as I was talking about that with subscribers, as the market ran up the four days kind of prior to that, saying, "Hey, guys, we're potentially tomorrow we might actually hit our first target." Well, the market gapped higher above a long-term resistance area for the GDXJ, and not only that, but the sentiment. I got I have a little bit of a secret weapon, which is. I have a whole bunch of subscribers who are hot and heavy in gold miners. And so I get a flurry of emails And you can tell when everyone's feeling real good and they're excited and everything's about (laughs) to start into a bull market. And when I tell them, Hey guys, we're going to be trimming some positions off the pushback I get is unbelievable. I mean, some people are just downright rude and they're they do not want to sell their gold miners. And they're like, why? We're about to break into a bull market. I'm like, this is, we're short term trading. This is resistance. All the mass media and the hype is screaming, we need to take profits off here and tighten our stop right up because it could get rejected. And, of course, if that's what happened, the virus definitely extended the downside, it created the collapse. But that's the same scenario we're having right now is everyone is feeling like a million bucks. Miners keep going higher. Everyone seems to be piling in. But really, there's, there's no volume. You look at the gold miner. ETFs. I mean, there's no volume. It's not like people are actually piling in. Everybody's already piled in. And that's that's why I think it's topping a little bit here is because everybody's in. And now they know we're close to breaking out with the juniors to a new bull market. And that's that extreme sentiment that they're already in. So there's no more fuel right here at resistance. And we could pull back.
0: There's a number of juniors that i follow that actually have had i would say three to four times the volume uh, in these smaller juniors you know under a hundred million dollar market cap or maybe up to 120 now Mm -hmm. million dollar market cap you know if you analyze the gdxj that's actually an etf for the mid tiers it doesn't accurately convey what's going on in those smaller juniors so how do you from a technical standpoint judge your entry or your exits in some of these smaller mining stocks.
1: Well, with they're a little more of a gamble generally. I mean, you're once you get into you know penny stocks, sub a dollar, like those really low price ones, they're really designed or they're they're really for very speculative players who are willing to take on a lot of risk. They believe in it longer term, so they're going to ha- they're going to sit through 30, 40, 50% whipsaws. Um, it's a different class uh, of trading that you know everybody 's got a little bit allocated on their portfolio say so this is my high risk, this is my penny stock, this is my you know hopefully to make like four hundred eight hundred you know a thousand percent return on these on these micro companies so it 's a bit different of a market, and those ones. Really, when you think we're starting a bull market, gold's got the trend in favor, large caps are are now picking up speed. I mean, you really, those kind of stocks, you you can really just put money in and try and ride the tide and and hope it turns into a 10 banger, 20 banger, who knows what it'll go into. But it is a much different mentality to trade those. I don't per se really swing trade those. Those are like, I'm going to go throw, you know, 10 grand in this one and five grand in this one and 10 grand over here. And you just kind of do the scattergun approach with these you know, really, you kind of want to look at high cost producers, because once gold really takes off, those ones are going to be really leveraged, they'll go from making nothing to making ridiculous amounts. And you know, there's going to be a lot of upside in those. So it's a very different game to play those. Uh, But they are coming to life, people have been piling in, they're running up. And um, yeah, it's really exciting. I mean, this is the time when they should start to shine, and they are. And I think this is the infant stage. Like silver hasn't broken into a bull market. GDXJ has not broken into a bull market. Um, gold broke into one last year and the large caps GDX broke into a bull market. So the big, big companies and, and big old gold are, are kind of leading the way. But these juniors and micros are about to really take off. They just they're not fully in that bull market phase for a long term investor.
0: We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Silver One Resources is an exploration and development company backed by strategic investors Eric Sprott and SSR Mining. At Silver One's Candelaria Mine project in Nevada, there is already a historic resource estimated at 127 million ounces of silver, which Silver One is developing and advancing. The company's Phoenix Silver Project, located within the Arizona Silver Belt, is an early stage exploration project on which native silver vein fragments have been discovered near surface one grab sample assayed an astounding 14,688 ounces per ton yes that's right ounces not grams silver one has tremendous exploration potential is extremely leveraged to the price of silver and is cashed up and poised to increase shareholder value silver one trades in new york under the ticker slvrf and in toronto under the ticker sve to learn more go to silverone.com that's silverone.com so gdx uh, j when you sold on February 24th, it would have been around the 45 level. It's reached as high recently at uh, about 48. So, what type of retracement might we be looking at right here?
1: Um, or do you expect it to a- pull back? Yeah, I'm expecting it to pull back. I would like it to pull back because we actually trimmed some positions off, and I'd like to add in and get and add more on a pullback here because you never know how big of a pullback you're going to get. And that's why you need to, as a shorter-term trader, you need to trim profits, move your stops up. If it triggers your stop at break-even or in a profit, I mean, hopefully you can reload at a lower price or wait for a brand-new, fresh setup that has an explosive move. So looking at GDXJ right now, it's at this – it is trading at 4650 I mean, ideally, maybe it comes down into support, which will be around that 42, uh, maybe even 41 area trade down there. So it's got a little bit of room to to follow and consolidate. And ideally, if it would trade sideways for a couple weeks, that would be great, because what it is, is it's eating through resistance here. It's building a new platform. People are lo- locking in profits. New investors are moving in. And that creates a launch pad for the next leg higher. And I feel like they're a little overbought at this point. Just they're at resistance. They've had this big, long rally. And they're you know a breather is very good. You don't really want price to go straight up or straight down because they usually recoil just as quick in the opposite direction. So mm-hmm. slow and steady wins the race uh, for long-term trends.
0: You look for opportunities, Chris. And as I was perusing your website – Uh, one of the things it said you want to do also is to minimize risk. So when it comes to a riskier trade, how do you approach that? And in the resource sector, a potential riskier trade would be what used to be the triple leveraged ETFs, the JNUG, uh, those type of ETFs. Did you ever play around with those or use call options on those?
1: We do. And this is the one thing that I do a lot different with my trading newsletter versus a lot of others is that I actually, I focus on this risk management and I allocate certain Percentages of our portfolio, and depending on that asset's volatility, um, how much, how the probability of it moving in our favor, how big that move is going to be, and which ETF we need to trade with it, I will adjust our position size. Maybe it's 25% of our portfolio, maybe it's 50, maybe it's less. It really depends on the asset class, and that's where. Um, it's really important. When I get to something really volatile or increased volatility in the markets, we downsize our position because you can make, you know, you're going to have a bigger move, and it can also have a, you can have a bigger loss. So you need to make a smaller position. You need to widen your targets generally and your stops, and so you have really have to counter it with position sizing. And and if you go into a three leverage, which I think the JNUG and those have been all downgraded now, but um, when you go into leverage. Unless you want to take on that risk and, and swallow a potentially, you know, significant loss, if you're wrong, you need to downsize your position. And And so that's where I think a, a lot of where I differ a lot is people like to go into the leverage and they like to do that, you know, swing for the fences and try and hit a grand slam. But there's a lot of problems with the three times. They lose value every day if it doesn't move in their favor. They're skewed. They're in huge volatility. They actually totally Default and have major issues and don't track at all. So why why would you trade, you know, out of a ten thousand dollar portfolio? Why would you put, you know, ten thousand dollars in a three times ETF that has all these issues when you could just put thirty thousand dollars into the one that's going to track very well and be very stable? And that's the way I see it. I, I'm not about leveraging my whole portfolio, so I have three hundred percent leverage on my entire portfolio. I like to just take conservative trades and put more cash into something that is stable, liquid, tracks very well, and make the money and then move it out instead of a little bit in a high leverage that has issues.
0: Those high leverage, uh, triple ETFs, high risk, high reward, but you cannot lose more than the capital that you put up. However, when it comes to futures trading, you can actually lose more money than you actually put up for a trade. How do you navigate the futures Mm -hmm.
1: market? Yeah, the futures market's pretty wild. I really, I haven't traded the futures in a while. Like I'll trade the SP500, the ES Mini, but I use I use the futures really for analysis because they're kind of like the raw the raw market. So I like to follow the futures, but I always trade with the ETFs with subscribers just because everyone could trade equities and you don't have that crazy leverage where you can blow your account up overnight. So. Uh, futures is really analysis and unless you have a huge trading account hundreds of thousands of dollars you can put on a couple contracts because you need a few contracts to be able to scale out profits you don't want to just be in one contract and then out it's really tough when you can't scale out of a position or scale into a position so futures are for big traders who can really stomach some wild swings and have a big account um, going forward so that's how I kind of see futures as more analysis focus on the core asset but then trade the the ETFs that mimic it.
0: The craziest future market that we've seen recently is the oil market with negative $42 oil, which is kind of crazy just to think about that. But uh, how are you trading oil now, or are you trading it at all?
1: Yeah, we're not trading it at all. I remember watching it... uh, when it was collapsing, and I remember when it was getting down to, it hit my first target that day of eleven. I'm like, hey, if it gets to eleven, that's our that's our downside target. Uh, you were fifty we dollars in, off. <laughs> yeah, we weren't. We weren't in a trade. I was saying, hey, if it gets to eleven, this is going to be really exciting because this is where, if you look at the monthly chart, this is actually where the pattern was was pointing to, which sounded ridiculous ridiculous months ago oil will never go to 11 and then i see it keep falling before i know it i look back i'm like it's at a dollar it's at 15 cents it's at like zero and then it went negative and i honestly i didn't even know futures could go negative and uh it was a real shocker and really the same thing with the the march crash in the stock market when something doesn't make sense to me i step back i'll liquidate i'll step back i'll be like okay i don't know what's going on this is incredible this is amazing i wish i could profit from it but I don't know what is going on, and I am not jumping into something moving 98% a day, and the stock market's falling five to ten or 12% a day. I don't want to jump in front of anything here. So we were really lucky uh, in in terms of we profited from the stock market crash. We are long bonds, and we had a trailing stop on our SP 500 position. So everything just played out perfectly um, to make money during the crash. But once we liquidated, I mean, we sat in liquid in cash for uh, you know more or less a month. And then we played the bounce in equities. So my point is with that craziness in crude oil is, you know, you need to step back. And sometimes no trading is the safe thing to do. And it's not the most fun. We all like to be in trades, but you have to kind of step back and let the market recalibrate. And I I feel like it's starting to get back to the norm. Uh, It is 36 is the resistance for me on crude. We'll see how it handles it once it tags that level. Uh, Overall, I think it's trying to put in a base, but... Um, I we need to see what kind of pullback and consolidation it has here, whether we want to get long or short uh, in a few weeks once a pattern unfolds. But it's a little overbought at this point in near resistance.
0: So even with your experience, Chris, when you see extreme volatility in the markets, it tends to lead you more into cash. Is that how you play that usually?
1: Yeah, it, it does. And it's not what... You know, your advisor would ever tell you to do because they don't ever want you to go to cash. Even in a bear market, they don't want you to go to cash. But the reality is, during the March sell off, every asset fell except for one. The US dollar rallied 11%. And we moved to cash. And it doesn't mean we played like the UUP ETF or we moved into the US dollar, but just moving to cash, our value of our account globally actually went up. Well, every single asset around the world fell. And it's hard to argue that you know going to cash is the wrong thing because it was the only thing that moved up. When everyone liquidated for trying to save their lives, they thought their lives were at risk, and we all did. I mean cash is king, and that's what I was kind of pounding on the table. I'm like, guys, we just – We've profited. We made a huge rally on this 20 percent spike in, in bonds. We're going to cash. Let's let the dust settle. And of course, the market just kept collapsing and collapsing. And uh, it, we didn't know what was going on. And so, yeah, cash is king sometimes and there's nothing wrong with it. And it can be very you know, it's very rewarding knowing you can dodge the roller coaster ride and have all this cash sitting there ready for the next, you know, big trade setup.
0: Mm -hmm. When it comes to currencies, what's your expectation for the relationship between the Canadian dollar and the U.S. dollar? Does the Canadian dollar continue to trend lower?
1: Um, I think the dollar, the Canadian dollar, um, if if oil pulls back, it moves a lot with oil. So if oil does rotate back, I mean, I think we'll see the Canadian dollar rotate lower. But overall, I think the Canadian dollar is kind of at some pretty long-term lows. And I don't think it's really gonna keep going lower. Now, I'm not sure um, the chart pattern is pointing to. It could drop all the way down to 65. Right now it's at 71. Uh, So there is potential for a pretty big drop. That brings us back to the 2002, 2003 pricing, which is pretty extreme. Um, Overall, crude I think is gonna be under pressure for quite a while. And that means the Canadian dollar will most likely be under pressure. Uh, The big question is, how is the U.S. dollar going to move with all this printing? It's been showing signs of weakness, trading sideways for the last month and a half. And, you know, obviously printing is not good for the currency, the amount that they're printing. So it's going to be interesting if that dollar starts to slip. Then uh, obviously, Canadian dollar to go to the U.S. dollar ratio will start to uh, perk up a bit.
0: As a trader, when you're coming up to a long weekend like we are here in the states, where the markets won't be open on Monday for a national holiday, how do you approach closing out trades or opening trades when it comes to a long weekend?
1: Uh, typically, I don't. I don't let weekends really alter. Uh, our Positions, I mean if we're in a trade that is near a first target or near a target Which is usually a resistance area and we're only a you know a little bit away We're a few pennies or a half a percent away or something like that the odd time will be like hey guys Let's just close it out lock it in and you know We'll look at the markets when the markets open in three days as opposed to holding over the weekend But generally as a technical analyst I I put zero news into my trading I filter all news all economic stuff really out of the equation. I do follow it, and I and I get what's going on, but price is how we make money. If the stock doesn't move in our favor, we don't make money. I don't care about earnings. I don't care about fundamentals. It's just we need the chart to move. So I focus on the price action, and um, really it doesn't matter what's coming up. Typically, I just will hold our positions because the trend is generally – in our favor. We're always trading with the trend and if you have news against your position, it's usually an intraday blip and it'll recover uh, once that kind of fades out.
0: So you're more of a swing trader than a day trader?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. A swing trader and a position trader. Some of our trades will last uh, you know, a month or two very easily. Uh, at times
0: okay, so for listeners of this show that may just now be getting introduced to the service you offer at the What would be the unique uh, value proposition that you would pose to a potential subscriber
1: You're right? Yeah, so I every morning before the opening bell around 845 or so uh, Eastern time i I publish a a video to members it 's usually eight to ten minutes long, and I talk about what happened yesterday what 's happening today in pre market and and how it should affect our positions and what to expect going forward and This is like the real core it 's highly educational you learn how i uh, how I analyze the markets you get to see what 's going on why it 's going you get to see key turning points and i mean this was a uh, the most powerful thing during that market crash because every morning I was coming on and and subscribers you were writing in saying if i didn 't have your video and uh, to have comfort of what 's going on and how this is normal price action for the markets, you know all these things kind of unfolding, people were really in a panic, and so every morning they were glued to their screen, understanding you know the market 's gapping down five percent it 's a huge move, but this is what happens it 's happened before this is mass panic selling. I kind of walk through a lot of different things, and eventually you you really get the hang of reading charts and what to expect and price gaps. And and so I I cover all the key markets, stock market, bonds, metals, uh, some sectors, commodities. And I whip through them and say, this is where we're at. This is what we're expecting. And hopefully we get a trade set up, you know, in the next couple of days and and we play our trades. And of course, you get my trade alerts as well. As soon as I have a trade, it comes through to your mobile app, uh, you get an email and it's posted in the members area. So the key is like you learn plus you get the trades. It's pretty straightforward.
0: And you mentioned some subscribers email you, so your subs get to engage with you.
1: They do, yeah. I answer lots of emails.
0: Chris's website, again, is thetechnicaltraders.com. Go over there and check it out if you're not familiar with his work. Well, Chris, I appreciate your advice and insights on trading these markets. Thanks for coming on today's show.
1: Hey, thanks, Bill. Pleasure to be here.